Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. I'm excited to get to share with you guys today. We kicked off a new series last week called Empty and Open. And what a great day we had looking at the power of the resurrection. And the resurrection for followers of Jesus isn't just like this one-off annual event where we wear fancy clothes and we go and take pretty pictures and we have a great worship service. The reality for a follower of Jesus is that every day is Resurrection Sunday. Every day we have the opportunity to live in the power of that resurrection. And, and we're talking about seven specific victories that we can experience in our everyday life as a result of the tomb of Christ being empty. And last week, we looked at the significance of death being defeated and death has no power over us and living a life without the fear of death and, and seeing it from a proper perspective. And this week, we're going to look at a new victory. And that's the idea of the promises that were purchased by Jesus when he resurrected from the grave. And those promises are opportunities that we have that affect every area of our life. And I want to use a passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible um, or your device handy and you can look it up, it'll also be on the, the screen, Lord willing, in this live stream era. We really have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but so if you have sometimes a good old fashioned, you know, leather bound pages rustling is a good way to go. But use your device, use a, a Bible, or hopefully it'll be on the screen here. But we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to jump right in at verse 18. We're going to go to the end, and then I'm going to come back and fill in some of the gaps. And it says this, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work for you, we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. And so I want us to, uh, I need to give you a little bit of history because out of context, that verse doesn't make, that little passage doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we have Paul, who at one time was an enemy of the church, who was radically converted to Christ when God spoke to him and invited him to become a follower. And Paul responded accordingly and turned into one of the most significant missionaries that there's ever been. He traveled and planted churches. And we model a lot of what we do in church today around some of the things that he was catalytic for in times of antiquity. And so in this particular time, this is the second book that he's written to the Corinthians. In the first book, 
And, and so when he would go around and he would plant these churches, he would get letters back. He would get information back. And, and a lot of the letters that he wrote, he's written most of our New Testament, which are mostly letters to the churches. And those letters include encouraging words. They include prayers. They include instructions. They include updates and stories and testimonies of other believers in other places. But they also include an awful lot of correction because he's heard things that don't sync up with the gospel that he knows is true. And so in 1 Corinthians, when you read that, you find they've gotten off track and they got into some things that we can't even talk about with kids in the room because they were so off on their gospel understanding and practices in the church. But in the first letter, he starts very much uh, to the, you know, the people and he's very gracious and I'm praying for you and you guys are so wonderful and amazing. But in 2 Corinthians, even the letter starts much differently and in the beginning of the letter, it's kind of like uh, grace and peace to you because you're going to need it for what I'm about to tell you. And he dives right into this other issue. And so what it looks like happened is that Paul had a plan to come and visit the church in Corinth after his first letter. And he wanted to, to spend some time with them. He didn't just want to write a letter. He wanted to spend time with them, helping them along, helping them understand. But something happened in his life to where he was unable to fulfill the plan that he had committed to. He said that he was, was going to come and visit them and spend time with them, but he was unable to do so. And as a result of that, some of the people in that church, they started to challenge him and they started to even discredit his status as an apostle. And so in that time, he thought he would write this letter. And in the first part, he's defending himself here against those who are attacking him for changing his plans. And then if we go back, I want us to back up now in 2 Corinthians. And I want us to look at why those plans changed and get a little more information around that. So now we're going to look uh, still in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, but starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you pay patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead." He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So we see some background information and why Paul is so strong in his defense of people attacking him. And some of the language that we experience here is incredibly um, relevant for the world that we find ourselves in right now. And, and sometimes it's a little terrifying that Paul could speak. Paul, this man of faith, this influencer for the kingdom, this powerful missionary, is speaking with an incredible amount of vulnerability as he's writing this letter. Listen to some of the things that he said. He said, the sufferings of Christ. Christ have overflown to us. 
When we remember what Jesus went through leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection, those were intense sufferings that he's experiencing. And Paul's saying that level of suffering has made its way to us. That's no small degree of suffering. He says we were afflicted in Asia. He said we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. Anybody feeling overwhelmed right now trying to figure out what plans need to be made and what we should do and what faithfulness looks like? He said we even despaired of life itself. Paul, the apostle, is being honest and saying, there was a time where I couldn't even see a way forward in this life and thought maybe it's just better that we go ahead and be with Jesus now. Another thing he said is, we felt like we've been given a death sentence. So I want us to not use that as an example But I do want us to experience a little bit of liberation so that when times are hard and in times of affliction and in times of pain and in times of great challenge, it's okay for us to get to a place to go, I'm not okay. I don't see a way forward. I'm overwhelmed. I'm afflicted. Uh, The sufferings that Jesus experienced, I'm, I'm feeling some of that. At certain points in life, we could feel that way. Some people may feel that way right now. Whatever, that, whatever happened, and scholars have some guesses about what happened, but ultimately nobody really knows what happened in Asia. All we know is that for him to feel that way, it was really bad, which I think is even better for us because it's not tied to a specific circumstance. Whatever life obstacle, whatever challenge, whatever hardship we find ourselves in could evoke those kinds of emotions in us as well. They didn't want to live anymore. We also need to be reminded, even when we're doing okay, that some people are feeling like this all the time. There are people around us facing some kind of reality that we don't know. And even if we know it, there's more to it than what we could ever understand. And even though they're not as vulnerable as Paul talking about, because in our culture, it's not really okay to go, I'm overwhelmed and I don't, I'm just like, I don't even see the way forward. I'm not sure I want to live anymore. We say, oh, I'm good. I mean, it's funny now, right? Because everybody's in, in lockdown. I've been having meetings all over the world at Zoom. And it's like, how are you guys? Um, I'm fine. And it's like, well... I don't know if I'm fine. Everything's weird. Everything's uncertain. But there's this pressure culturally to just be like, yeah, I'm good. You're good. Cool. Let's talk about something else. When the reality is that a lot of our world is feeling like this. Right now, as we're facing a common pandemic, there's, this is a reality because of what we're facing. But even when we're not, people are facing challenges like this all the time. So it's an opportunity for us to see Paul go, it's okay to not be okay. However, you don't have to stay there. It's not okay to stay not okay. And even Paul, he gives us these honest confessions. And it's a shame, right, that Paul had to defend himself. Like, they couldn't have just said, like, oh, it happens. Plans change. We get it. We know. You must have something. You must have a good reason. Instead, they're like, how dare you? I can't believe you didn't come. You must not love us. You must not care about us. Anybody manipulated by loved ones in their life that when plans change, you get the full brunt of every attack that you could imagine? That's what Paul's dealing with. And he gives this explanation to say, look, it was really bad. It wasn't that I didn't want to come. It wasn't that I didn't love you. It was just that I had all this going on. And then he gives these amazing testimonies about this season as well. He said, despite all of those very real challenges, he said, but God comforted us in our afflictions and his level of comfort overflowed even deeper than our suffering. So the comfort 
of the spirit, the comfort that God can provide is sufficient for anything that we're facing. Because we are receivers of that comfort, we can also be distributors of that comfort. In fact, we're supposed to be. Because of what God gives us, we have an opportunity to turn and give that to those that are feeling in a similar way. And that comfort, it gives us patient endurance. Patient endurance. Paul says we've put our hope in him He says he delivered us from that death that seemed imminent, that death that we were staring in the face, that we were even sort of welcoming because things had got so bad. God delivered us from that. We don't feel that way anymore. And he said, I need you to pray for us because of all of these things. Isn't that amazing? So right here in this passage, by the way, that has nothing to do with the rest of the sermon. That's just the background. It was already like a whole sermon. So if that was your word and you thought that was what you needed, you know, you can check out and maybe catch the rest of this at a later time. But I just thought, man, how beautiful for that in this season that we're in. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay. And God's probably provided you with the resources and the people that you need to help lead you and walk you out of whatever that challenge is. And his comfort is deeper, richer, fuller than any affliction that we will ever face. He is actually enough. And so Paul was planning this visit to the people in Corinth, but this is why his plans changed. And I mean, how many of us have had How many plans in our lives have right now just been turned completely upside down? Uh, We never planned that we would be doing worship services in front of a camera, hoping that people are watching on the other side, hoping that we're being built up together as a church. Like we never planned. I had a bunch of international trips planned that I had to cancel. I know that you have a million plans changed. We're in this season now where pivot is like the word. Everything is this amazing pivot. And I want us to just be encouraged by this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look now at verse 15. Because all of these things happened, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. And I love that because it's like, he didn't just go like, I already wrote you one letter. That should have been enough. He said, I'm longing to come to you. I want us to experience this grace of being together. Right now, we're longing for that as a church family. We need it's a second grace. We need another go at being together. He said, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia. So I wanted to stop on the way to Macedonia. I wanted to stop on the way back to Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no? At the same time, and I just kind of, that language is significant because it was right after that that is the heart of the rest of our, our time this morning. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. It's not vacillating. It's not a wishy-washy faith necessarily when plans are changing. For the Son of God we proclaimed among you, this is in verse 19, was not yes and no, but in him it is always Yes. And right now, when our world is filled with a million no's, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do anything. Just everywhere we turn, we even thought, hey, things are going to get opened back up this week. We're getting an announcement of that. And we hear the announcement. It's like, actually, that's still a no. Like, it barely changes anything. Like, everywhere. And so if we're getting no's all around us, what I want us to see is that there's a yes in Jesus that overflows deeper, fuller, and wider than any no that we might be facing in our lives. And that's this pivot. And I want to challenge us with this idea. And that is, I think God is greatly glorified in the pivoting of our plans. 
I think God is greatly glorified in the pivoting of our plans. And this is why. Because all of a sudden, every plan that we make has to go through him. Because we're really good at making plans. We're really good at organizing our life. We're really good at getting what we want. But now, all of a sudden, when plans change, we're having to really lean in. That's our opportunity. That's our invitation. God, where are you? God, what do you want me to do? What does faithfulness look like for me? What does obedience look like? I know we've got these significant challenges, but I still trust you. I still believe you. I do believe that in these pivoting of our plans, God has an opportunity to be greatly, greatly glorified in our lives. And I think that's an important launching point for us because we look at what Paul said and we look to God and we receive that comfort. We receive that hope. Not only that, we receive that direction. And these are not wasted days. These are days that God is allowing. These are days that God is reordaining good purposes through all of this struggle. And he's building his kingdom. He's never stopped. Nothing in the kingdom has been canceled just because we've gotten all of these no's. Everything in Jesus is yes. And what we see about that is that Jesus is always the better plan. He is always the better plan. As God is faithful, our answer is not yes and no. Our answer is Jesus. And that sounds like uh, growing up in church, Sunday school, vacation, Bible school answer. What's the answer? Jesus. But Jesus is still the answer. Paul's calling us back to that. This may be yes. This may be no. It may be up. It may be down. But in Jesus, the promises of God are yes and amen. And amen just means let it be. Surely this is what it is. And it's an invitation for us to keep coming back and keep trusting that it's always yes in Jesus. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this word promise, this word promise, because it's far more significant than we might notice at first glance. The translation of this word is actually not very deep and significant. It just means to announce. It just kind of means to declare. And so the announcement of God is yes and amen. Well, I make announcements in my house all the time and they're very unimpressive. Like they carry no weight. Nobody has changed. Like remember in school, like growing up, remember when we used to go to school, there was announcements and they would come on the speaker and it's like, nobody listens to the announcements unless they know somebody. So it's like announcements seem like, okay, I'm, I'm checking out. I'm tuning out. We make all these amazing slides before our worship services with announcements and we're just trying to be like, gosh, how can we hope that people receive this information? So I think it's interesting that that word announcement is not a very strong word in and of itself, but this word promise shows up over 60 times in the New Testament. Over 60 times, God is revealing that word to us and almost every time it shows up in the New Testament, it's pointing back to the Old Testament. So it's impossible for us to understand the meaning of this announcement, the meaning of this explanation or this declaration that Paul's talking about with at least having some understanding of how God has gone about announcing things in the Old Testament. And here's the the just very clear and not so subtle difference. It's the difference between me or you or somebody we know making an announcement and the difference between the voice of God making an announcement. 
And all in the Old Testament, we call promises covenants. And a matter of fact, the word, we, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as it turns out, that word testament's actually not a very good translation of the original word. It was just, it was translated a long time ago. And I don't think anybody has the courage to change it, but it would be a more literal translation of, of instead of saying Old Testament and New Testament, a better translation of those words is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, which is the promises of God. And so these promises carry a lot more weight when we think of them in terms of every time we see promise, every time we see announcement, it's referring back to God making a decision to do some announcing to people over time. God has this consistent habit of reaching out to his people through announcements and declarations and covenants and invitations. And the Old Covenant is actually, the Old Testament, it's actually this incredible narrative. Like you can get lost in Exodus and Leviticus and think it's all about rules and the law, but those rules and the law are overflowing from the covenants that came before them. And there was covenants that came after them. And so if you take a little wider look of the old covenant or covenants, because the old covenant is a series of these covenants of God showing up and making announcements to his people. And they're all invitations into relationship with him. The God of the universe inviting people people to know him and be known by him and to live in this fulfilling relationship that is enough yes to get us through anything that we could ever come against. And so uh, when God has something to say, I think we would all agree, like if it's school announcements or if it's our parents' announcements or even other announcements, we may be like, uh, I mean, like with a little crawler on news channels, like, golly, it's just so much noise. Nobody's, however, if all of a sudden God called a press conference and had an announcement of any kind, we're tuning in. We're tuning in. We're hanging on every word of God. And I think this is awesome that because we can describe it as covenant, the word covenant isn't really in the Old Testament. Like God didn't go, here's my covenant. Abide by it. All he did was speak. The power of the word of God is so strong. God doesn't have to go, hey guys, I promise this is the way it's gonna be. God doesn't go, I swear to me that this is the way it's gonna, he doesn't have to do that. He just speaks and the power of his words Everything he says is a promise because he never goes back on what he says. Everything he speaks is a covenant. And all of these New Testament promises, including the one that we're basing all of this off, they have roots in declarations of God from ages ago in the creation. God gave a covenant. I've given you all of these things. Here's everything you need. Tend the land. Subdue the land. Raise all of it. Just be content. Just don't eat of that one thing. If you do, there's going to be consequences. God invited people into this promise. Did God break his covenant or did humanity break their covenant? Humanity did. Humanity did. And then when they rebelled, there was consequences exactly as God had said for breaking that promise with him. And I feel like if I was God, I would have been like, well, we gave it a good run. I'll just, I'm, we'll just not worry about that anymore. But instead, there comes a time where there was only a handful of righteous people and God chooses to start over with just a few group of people 
with one family, the family of Noah. And God shows up and he makes this covenant with Noah. And both of these covenants now are like, be fruitful and multiply, be obedient to what I'm saying. Trust me, live in relationship with me. This time, that promise wasn't conditional. So God makes different kinds of covenants. He's not just this robotic thing for specific places and specific times with specific people. God switches up what he says a little bit, which is amazing because the way God speaks to us might be different than the way he speaks to somebody else. It doesn't reduce the power of what he said. He shows up to Noah and says, let's start this over, be faithful. And then they were for a while, but then that season ends in what's most famously the Tower of Babel, which was humanity going, look how awesome we are. We can build this thing so high that we can be as high as God. And I think that honestly, some of the detoxing that we're experiencing right now as a culture is, is closely like this. Look at everything I've made. Look at the house that I've made. Look at the job that I've done. Look at the things that I've built. Look at the successes that I've had. And then we treat faith as if it's this accessory or uh, I can do all things through Christ, but really he can do all things to help me do what I want to do. Like it's, we've had this Tower of Babel kind of experience where it's like we have God over here, but really we're taking credit for the things that we've accomplished and that we've done. And now all those things are gone and we're kind of like, I don't know what to do. Our opportunity is to lean in to the covenants that God has made with his people. And that season ends. And that one wasn't conditional. So God didn't have to enforce a new consequence to that. But he just re-upped with Abraham. And when Abraham came along, he said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your family like the stars in the sky and the descendants of the sea. It's going to be amazing. And from your line, I'm going to bless the entire world. And Abraham gives birth to Isaac, that gives birth to Jacob, who gives birth to the 12 tribes of Israel that raised a prominence through the leadership of Joseph. And they grow and they have this amazing power for, and influence, prosperity for like 400 years. And through no fault of their own, the Pharaoh one day looked up and the people of Israel were 3 million people and he was threatened and he said, um... Let's make sure that doesn't turn into some kind of revolution. So we're going to enslave those people. And then God shows up again. But he shows up 400 years later, right? And he speaks to Moses about the people of Israel. And in that time, he's showing people who he is again. He's saying, I am. I am that I am. I'm not like all those other gods. I'm not like all the other things competing for your attention. I am that I am. The Ten Commandments come out of that covenant, of that law, these instructions, these guidelines. And this is God continuing his narrative, continuing to insert himself into all of history, showing people that this plan is still unfolding and still going strong. And then it comes to another stage where we have the covenant of David, and through David, God promises a king to deliver his people, a, forward king, a looking forward king that's going to deliver his people. And then people got really excited about that and thought it was going to happen in their lifetime, and they celebrated a little bit too early. And then they found themselves disobeying God again. They chose to rebel, and they found themselves in exile. And even during exile, God was going, I'm still working something here. I'm still going to bring and deliver a redeemer. I'm still, this promise hasn't left. So all of these, these old covenant, 
That was the whole Old Testament, by the way. You're caught up now. So maybe you want to dig in a little deeper to that at a later time. All of those covenants are pointing forward to the new covenant, to the New Testament. And that is the covenant that God has made with his people through the sending of his son and through Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the grave. He invites us in to a different kind of promise. And if you look at Jesus's ministry and life with this frame of reference, Jesus is constantly referring back to these covenants. The things that Jesus is saying, when, you, when Jesus says something and you're like, I don't really understand what that means, it's probably directly tied to a covenant that God had made in the Old Testament. And so his entire life and ministry, he's demonstrating that all of those yeses and nos and ups and downs and the roller coasters and obedience and disobedience is pointing to the coming of Jesus and he's the fulfillment of every one of those things and there will never be another covenant because Jesus is the only one that we need. All of the promises of God are yes in Jesus and Jesus tells us throughout, I'm going to put some things up there from the gospel of John. If you're looking for something maybe to dig into this week, this would be a great place. And Jesus, with great intentionality, when he's talking about himself and he's connecting himself back to these covenants and these Old Testament uh, promises and announcements, Jesus very specifically starts these with, I am. And he says, I am the bread of life, which they would have understood to be symbolic of the manna from heaven that fell in the desert that was right around another covenant that God had made. And that manna, everybody recognized that they could not live on that bread alone, that it was only by the supernatural provision that God was giving them in addition to that bread that they were able to make it to the promised land, to the place of promise, to the place of blessing. And so when Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life, he's telling you, I can give you that supernatural provision. I can be all that you need. He's connecting it back to one of the things that God's been saying for hundreds and thousands of years. You can be satisfied with him so much that you're not looking for anything else. Jesus, in John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. He says, our world is filled with darkness, and the darkness doesn't understand the light. But when you are in Christ, the promise of light is strong enough to illuminate any darkness that you come to. This is why the church can't be canceled, because you are the church. I am the church. So wherever I show up six feet apart from somebody else, the church is there already. That is our opportunity in the light of Christ. Go with you into this dark world that's all of a sudden confused and doesn't know where to turn, we see the light, the promise of light being our opportunity. He says, I'm the gate. And this is so significant because at this time in, in history, the gate was narrow. The gate was only for the Israelites. But when Jesus comes, he tears down that expectation. And all of a sudden, the gate is for every tribe, every tongue. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, whatever color your skin is, whatever your nationality, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your socioeconomic status, Jesus is your gate. And no matter how much you have or how little you have, you're invited to him. You're invited to come to him because he is our entry point into the kingdom. He says, I'm the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice, which means there's a promise that God still speaks to us. And we have the opportunity to respond and listen to the things that he says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. So we don't live in fear of death. We live in the triumph of life life eternal, but an abundant life here and now as well. He says, I'm the way, the truth, 
and the life, and he's still just encouraging us. He is our way out of every exile. He is deeper than any of our afflictions. There is no other way out that's going to last. There's no other thing that's going to be sustainable. He is the way and the truth and the life, and if he wills it that you're ever able to show up at soccer practice again, or you're able to, to go to a yoga class, or to the gym, or back to school, and back to work, he's leading you in that way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Let's go. We're going to show up where the people are, and we're going to show them the promise that comes with me. And he says, finally, the seventh promise of Jesus, I am the true vine. Vine was symbolic of the nation of Israel. And so he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of everything that's ever been said to them. I am right here. And also, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And so it's showing us, he's promising you that you are connected to him. And even more than that, his father is the vine dresser who's coming and tending to us and helping us. And he's getting rid of the things that are gonna keep us from bearing fruit. And he's bringing us into his kingdom to represent him to where he can be most glorified and all of this pivoting that's currently going around. Jesus is saying, I am all these things. I am the best promise you could ever dream of. Whatever area of life you're thinking about, I've got that covered. All you do is believe it. All you do is live like it's true and follow him and trust him and put these things into practice. Not just when it's easy, but when it's hard, when you're like Paul going, I don't see the way forward, this is too much. Every promise is yes and amen. And in no particular order, and this is the end, guys, there's provision that's promised. There's provision promised in the fulfillment of these promises. And maybe a good way to close out our understanding of this is to go, which one of these things is missing in my current world? What do I need? Here's what's promised. The presence of God. Peace and comfort to help you. The protection of God. We hide in the refuge of his wings, according to Psalm 91. The perspective of God. God's not worried right now. He's not going, oh no, what's happening? He's like, yeah, this is bad. Here's where we're going peace? Do you have anxiety and stress? Or do you have peace? What about power? Are you feeling empowered to be proactive in anything in life? You can. There's things to be done. There's ways to live well right now. What about purpose? Are you feeling sure in that? And maybe it's just perseverance, just like we talked about with Paul. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you're feeling. But I know that we're all feeling something. I know that we're all needing something. And our invitation, just as Paul calls us, the promises of Jesus are yes and amen. And all of the promises he makes are yours for the believing. And the believing of those will bear fruit that will allow you to experience a richness and a fullness of life beyond what we could ever hope or imagine. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.